0: Today's teaching comes from Exodus two twenty three 23 through 25 in the Bible. The large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you speak clearly to us through it today. Help us to not just listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth, for reading God's word for us. Happy snow day, everybody. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Um, I just want to take a second uh, before we dive in. I want to slow us down and I want to pray for us. Uh, Just remind us of what we are doing here. We believe that Jesus Christ is physically alive. Uh, We believe that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. We believe that Jesus, the living Jesus, is here with us by the person of the Holy Spirit. He says where two or more are gathered together. I will be with them, and we believe that whenever we open the Bible, that God is speaking, okay? And so what that means is, as we leave here today, the question that we have to wrestle with is not, did God speak, because we're going to open our Bibles, the question is, were we ready to listen, and were we ready to hear, and were we ready to trust, and then are we determined to go and obey? Uh, what we hear from the Word of God, okay? So I want to pray uh, for us that the that the Holy Spirit would come and help us uh, be ready to receive the Word. Jesus, we, um, we come before you as needy people, um, as broken people, as suffering people. Uh, we come in here with a thousand things on our hearts and minds. Some of us have had really great weekends. Others of us have had really hard weekends, and we want to come and we want to pay attention to you for just a little while. Um, So I want to pray for a few things. God, I want to pray, number one, uh, that you would protect us from the enemy. Uh, We talked about this last week, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of darkness. And so we pray that where the enemy is trying to be at work up here on this stage and out there, in the chairs, God, that he would have no dominion on this property in the name of Jesus. Um, We pray uh, that you would prepare our minds and that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. Jesus, your parable comes to mind where you say um, that our hearts are like soil and we want our hearts to be good soil so that the seed of your word can be planted there this morning and then produce fruit in our lives. Jesus, we want to invite you to help. I pray for boldness and clarity in my mind and my heart that you would help me preach your word, preach the good news with clarity and power today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab a Bible, open it up to Exodus chapter 2. We've got three verses to close out this chapter together. A little review uh, of last week. Last week we had part one of answering this big question that is right here on the screen. What do we do when it feels like God is really far away? What do we do when it feels like God is really far away? We've all been there. It feels easy to Uh, love God and feel like God is good and close and kind when life is going well, right? It's like when your life's going well, it's easy to roll in here and be like, be magnified in my life, Christ, and like sing the songs with the band and all of these things. But what about when life takes a downturn and it starts to feel like God is not close and might not be good and Might not be kind, but it feels all of the sudden like God is being unkind to you. And we talked about whenever we find ourselves in that place, it's important to step into action, not fall back into apathy. So when God feels really far away, when it feels like God's a million miles away, when it feels like your life's kind of taking a downturn and you're going, God, where are you? It is important, we talked about last week, to step into action, not fall back into apathy. And last week, out of the first part of Exodus chapter 2, we looked at two actions that we can step into when it feels like God is really far away. Here are the two actions we talked about, um, uh, just as a review. Number one, we talked about looking for God's hidden hand. Looking for ways like at, at, ways God is at work in your life. Like on the first reading of your life, it may be like, man, God's a million miles away. He's not doing anything in my life. I don't think he's kind. I don't think he's good. But on a second reading of our life, we can see God's little fingerprints all over our life history. And number two, we talked about choosing courageous rebellion to the world power and being faithful to God. Well, you can think of today's teaching kind of like part two of what do we do when it feels like God is far away as we just continue into Exodus chapter two. And I want to give you two more actions that you can take today when it feels like God is a million miles away and you can't see him anywhere in your life. So let's just dive in. Here's action number one. Let your groan turn into a cry. Let your groan turn into a cry. If there's one thing that I would consider myself an expert at, it's um, complaining. Um, it's complaining. Uh, I just feel like it comes like really intuitively to me. And Allie, my wife Allie, and my close uh, friends would, would tell you that if there are two things that I'm really good at complaining about and groaning about, they are being hot and being hurt. Okay? You get me hot, you're going to know that I am hot. I can almost out-complain anybody about being hot. In fact, I was talking to our staff this week, and uh, I was kind of talking to them about like how good of a complainer I am, you know, how like, I really think I'm an expert complainer, which is really sad. And I was like, man, I, I think I'm really good at complaining about being hot. And Jonathan, uh, who's our executive pastor, he said, yeah, well, you're also good at complaining when you're cold, okay? And so I said, I said, well, sue me, man. It's 2022. I like to be comfortable, okay? Um, you know? So I, 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 I'm really good about complaining about being hot. I'm, I'm also really good at complaining about being hurt. Like, if I'm hurt or I don't feel good, uh, you better believe that if you come in my general vicinity, you're going to know that, like, my stomach hurts, okay? I'm going to, like, let you know. Um, Complaining becomes really intuitively to me, and the reason I'm bringing this up is really complaining comes intuitively to us all. Like, we are we are really good complainers just think about uh, just think about your workplace for a second okay just think about your workplace for a second before I know this may come as a surprise to you but I haven't always worked in the church before I worked in the church I worked at a number of places uh, kind of like low level uh, low level work in a number of places while I was trying to do master's degrees and all kinds of stuff and one of the things is I think back on that time that marks that time is how much everybody complained all the time about everything like anybody else's workplace like that uh, if you're the boss, you're like, no, I, I don't think anybody complains. I think I have a great... If you're not the boss, you're like, yes, yes, yeah, we're really uh, good at complaining. Now, we are really good. Here's my point. We are really good at groaning about life. We're really good at it. It comes naturally to us. Now, here's the good news. Here's why I bring that up. If you know how to complain, you've got everything you need to step fully into action number one. Let your groan turn into a cry. You've got everything you need to step into action number one. Look at verse 23 with me. It says this. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. So let's remember what's happening in the context of Exodus 1 and 2. The Israelites are in a dark and hard spot. Decade after decade, of difficult slave labor, and they are groaning under the weight of their life. They are enduring hardship and suffering. They're groaning. They're complaining. We will find out later in the book of Exodus, this is kind of funny, that the Israelites are actually professional complainers like us. There's this story later in Exodus, we'll get to it later this year, where the people are out in the wilderness. God has done like all of these incredible miracles in order to deliver them from their slavery. They get out into the wilderness and they're starving, okay? And uh, they're like, God, they're crying out for God. They're like, God, God, we're starving down here. And God's like, I love you. Here's some like miracle bread provision for you called manna. It's like a bread-like substance. And whenever God provides the manna for them, they go, we don't like the way that this tastes. They're like professional complainers. God's like, they're like, we're hungry. God goes, here's bread. And they're like, not this kind of bread, you know, and it's like they're really good at complaining. We're going to talk a lot about that through the book of Exodus. All kinds of groaning and complaining from these people. But in this particular part of their story with God, they do something with their groans. They do something with their groans. Um, they, uh, watch this. They, they, they do something with what they're feeling like is weighing down on them in life. They do something with their complaining. Watch this, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out. And they cried out. And their cry for help, because of the difficult labor, ascended to God. The people of God are like us here in so many ways, life is really hard for them, And they feel like God is really far away. And it seems like God has forgotten about them. So they've found comfort in groaning about their life circumstances to one another. But then something interesting happens in the passage. They start to take their horizontal groaning and direct it vertically. And whenever their groaning is directed vertically, it's called a cry. And whenever their groans turn into a cry, it says that those groans begin to ascend to God. They they start to get up to heaven and get God's attention. So let's think about this directionally. Okay, let's bring this down to life and think about this directionally. For most of us when life gets hard, we are most prone to groan in two directions, okay? Think about it this way. We're most prone to groan in two directions. We groan in and we groan out, okay? And this is intuitive to all of us. First, we we groan in. Uh, If you're like me, you are really good at being in your head about everything. You guys with me? Where it's like, the inner dialogue is alive and well in this dome up here. You guys feel this? It's like, we're really good at inward dialogue. We're really good at groaning in. And if you're like me, most of the time it's while you lay in bed at night at like 2 a.m. and stare at the ceiling. It's like, I'm really good at groaning inward and dwelling on things and mulling over things that, honestly, I can't really do anything about. We're really good at groaning in. Second, we're also really good at groaning out to others. We, and this is, I'm not, I'm not assigning, like, morality to these things. These things are good. They're fine. They're not wrong, necessarily, but this is just what we do. We, we call a friend. When life gets hard, we call a friend, and we just kind of, like, throw up on them about life and like all of the hard things in life. And sometimes that can be really helpful, but we are really good at groaning in and we are really good at groaning out. But the one thing that isn't as intuitive to us and easy for us is learning to groan up to God. Learning to groan up to God. We groan in, we groan out, but most of us do not ever groan up. The people of God in this passage are an example to us. Really, if we're just being very clear, they're an example to us of how to pray, how to go to God. They're an example to us. We've got to learn to let our groans that we feel in life, the things that we are complaining about in life, turn into an upward cry for help from God. This is the point. So let's get real with this. Um, Let's drive this even deeper into real life. Talking about groaning, turning into crying. Here's a little bad habit that I've noticed in my life. Uh, and And I noticed this as we, I talked about this with staff some this week and I was really trying to be introspective with this of like, do I let the things that are weighing down on me in life, do I really talk honestly with God about them? I've noticed that when it comes to my prayer life, I will find myself praying religious things but not real things. I'll notice myself, like, I'll catch myself, and it's like I, I feel like I have to kind of, like, bring this version of myself to God that is kind of, like, religious, but not real, right? So I pray about religious things. I'm like, I go to God, and I'm like, God, you know, would you just build a hedge of protection? (laughs) It's like, what is that, first of all? Why are we always talking about hedges? Um... God, would you just like, we pray about silly things. We pray like, we'll pray about like somebody's, and this isn't always silly, so bear with me, but like somebody's pet being sick or like this far off distant relative that no, nobody even really knows in the group. We'll pray about these things. We'll be like, God, I just like, you know, help me. Love. We pray in very gener- general realities, but not spe- spe- specific realities about life. Sorry, I couldn't say specific. Specific realities about life. It's like, God, would you just help me be kind and love people? It's not that these prayers are wrong, right? But they're kind of religious. They're not really real. I'm good at bringing this religious version of myself to God, but not my real self, my real groans to God. I think part of this is, I was trying to think of like, why do I do that? I think some of it, if I'm being really honest, is that sometimes I'm embarrassed about the real stuff that's going on in me. And I'm like, wait, I shouldn't be like dwelling on that all the time and thinking about that all the time and wrestling with that. I'm kind of embarrassed so I shove it down and then I try to bring this religious self kind of like cleaned up good boy to God or maybe it's not embarrassed uh, but maybe it's ashamed. I feel ashamed of the things that I'm still, still fighting in my life and I think God's ashamed of me too and so I can't like actually bring this real self. I've got to bring this religious self to God. But it's like when you really think about that, man, how unproductive is that? How like anti-gospel is that? What we need to learn to do is invite God into the inner dialogue. Turn the inner dialogue into an upward dialogue. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. Because we're real powerful, exciting, joy-filled life with God begins is where we start to invite God into the real stuff of our life, not just the religious stuff of our life. I mean, this is the whole book of Psalms, right? Is the psalmist bringing their full selves and laying it before God and going, God, this is what is in me. They are letting their groans turn into a cry. How silly is it? I'll find myself like thinking on something, mulling over something, stressing about something, being anxious about something, but I never think, oh, wait a second, I should direct this inward dialogue upward. And that's what you see happening in this passage. Let your groans, the things that you're carrying in life, let your complaints turn into a cry. What we're really talking about is learning to be vulnerable people. Learning to be vulnerable uh, one of the biggest themes in the Bible is that we were created to be dependent on God, not independent of God. Okay? I know this sounds like total one on 101, uh, but we, you are not created to live independently from God and get your own life together and figure life out. This is so counterintuitive to what we typically believe. Most people think that growing into a mature follower of Jesus looks like becoming less dependent on God for some reason. Where it's like, the further I grow into this, the more I can kind of like carry on my own and do on my own. But actually, it's the opposite. Maturity in the Christian life is really realizing how vulnerable you really are and in stepping into depend- deeper into dependence on God. This is what maturity looks like. So here's another way of thinking about this. Most people won't miss out on like rich, beautiful, joy-filled, exciting life with God because they're like too bad and too sinful and too needy. Most of us guys, most of us will miss out on rich, joy-filled, exciting life with God because listen to me, we kind of just think we're okay and can get by without him. Like we just groan inwardly over and over and over again. And we groan to our friends, but we never invite the living God, sovereign over the nations. I read that this morning in Psalm 56. Saw into what we're groaning about. And go, God, can you help me carry this? So let's just just do a little illustration. Um, Let's think about an example of the least independent, most dependent human beings on the planet. Who who, Who would that be? little baby infant little baby infant i held jonathan and sarah hunt had their baby this last week yes for those of you that are new jonathan's our executive pastor held little baby clara and thought a lot about this yesterday um a lot of fun a newborn baby in the first moments of a newborn's life uh, the nurses will perform what's called an apgar test on a new infant any nurses in here that have done an apgar test okay have you done an apgar test don't judge me if I mess this up. I am not a nurse. I'm a pastor. I read about this, okay? <laughs> um, um, but as much as this, uh, this, this APGAR test that they do is a biological, physiological assessment of need for emergency care, so it's like, can the baby breathe? Does the baby have a normal heart rate? It is also a check to assess the emotional and spiritual capacity for normalcy in a newborn infant. That's what the APGAR test does. Dr. Chip Dodd, Uh, talks about this. He has a PhD in counseling and is a brilliant therapist that works with leaders all over the world. And he shows how, he shows this really interesting thing in his work, how what makes for a spiritual and emotionally healthy, spiritually and emotionally healthy infant is also what makes for a spiritually and emotionally healthy adult, okay? In fact, you like, he's saying that you're never going to outgrow these kind of like intuitive needs that you have. He says that there are three essential movements when a newborn baby is right when they're born that the infant needs to express to exhibit spiritual and emotional normalcy. We'll put these three up on the screen. Number one, they're looking for, does the child cry out? Does the child express fear of not having security and the need for comfort of care? Number two, they're looking for this, will the child Reach out to experience the touch of another human, the reflect response of connection. And number three, will the child grasp for food, sucking in nurturance for growth? If the child does these three things, the child, this little infant, is known as quote-unquote normal. They're called normal. This is normal. This is what makes a baby normal. Now, this is where it gets really fascinating. He says that the same things that made you spiritually and emotionally he- a spiritually and emotionally healthy infant are what will also make you a spiritually and emotionally healthy adult. You will never outgrow these three things. These are what it means to be a human being. Little infants just know them. We try to cover them up. Okay? We try to cover them up. He says that to continue to function as a normal spiritually and emotionally healthy human is to never outgrow these three movements. So we'll put these three on the screen. Number one, he says that we can never leave behind the capacity to cry out for help, which becomes the ability to express feelings, needs, desires, longings, and hopes. Number two, we can never leave behind the capacity to reach out for connection to relationship that allows us to experience fulfillment in living. And number three, never leaving behind the craving for fulfillment that strengthens us and allows us to receive and give out of that fulfillment. He goes on to say this. This is a quote from him. In summary, never leaving behind the capability of vulnerability allows one to have the quote-unquote normal human experience of being fully alive. You've got to learn to be vulnerable again. Quote-unquote normal is living as we are created to live. You and I are created, he says, as emotional and spiritual creatures, created to do one thing, live fully. We do so by living fully in relationships with ourselves, others, and God. Notice, inward, outward, and upward are all essential for spiritual and emotional health, according to Chip Living fully does not ever mean or require, pay attention to this, that we become invulnerable to how we were created to live. In fact, this little section is in a, uh, in, a, in a journal article that he published on addiction. He says that when you try to live invulnerably is when you lean into addiction to kind of cover up and manage your, your own vulnerability. It's like th- you are created to be a vulnerable, needy person. You never outgrow this. Now, that's Chip Dodd's opinion. Let's talk about Jesus' opinion, okay? Let's look, at, let's look at this in Jesus. This is why... Jesus teaches that if we don't receive the kingdom of God like a little child, vulnerably, needy, then we will miss it altogether. If we don't learn to embrace our own vulnerability and need of God, we will miss what Jesus has to offer altogether. This is why Jesus teaches us that a normal pattern of discipleship is expressing our own vulnerability by dependence on God through prayer is what prayer is. So let me, let me give you an example of Jesus teaching us what it means to be vulnerable again. Jesus has this famous teaching on prayer in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, where he says this. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, most people read this and they're like, does that mean that I can ask Jesus for a Ferrari and there's going to be one in my garage when I get home? Maybe, but probably not, but probably not. Thank you, Meredith. <laughs> Nobody else thought that was funny? I can always depend on Meredith Sell. Most people read this and they're like, man, is this, some, is this some like prosperity teaching of Jesus? And I would say, no, this is Jesus teaching us what it means to be a human being. Watch this. This is Jesus teaching us what it, re-teaching us how to be vulnerable the way we were created to live. Here it is. When he says ask, he's teaching us to cry out. When he says seek, he's teaching us to reach out. And when he says knock, he's teaching us to express longing for fulfillment for something that we don't have. He is teaching us to be vulnerable again. He's reteaching us how to be a human being. So the world says, the more you mature, you should be more self-sufficient. The more you mature, the more you grow in life, the more self-sufficient you should be. But guys, can I just say if we believe that, we will be crushed under the burdens of life. We were created to live like that. This is like in your bones, created by God to be vulnerable and dependent and let the things that you're groaning about turn into a cry. Um, so I want to do this tenderly, but, but I want to like speak to, I just want to take this and sum it up and speak to some of you that are feeling this right now, man, like, I feel like God is far away, and I feel like God is really hard. I mean, I feel like life is really hard. I feel like God is really far away, and I feel like life is really hard. I just want to kind of bring this to bear on your life. Could it be, let me say this, I'm saying this out of my own experience of the last four weeks, okay? So I feel like this is what I've been living And I wanted to give it to you. Could it be that God feeling far away and life feeling hard might sometimes be God graciously and kindly giving us over to our own delusional self-sufficiency or invulnerability so that we feel its anxious and devastating effects and turn back to Him? Could it be that that's God's kindness to you? Pastor Rick Warren, legend, says this. How does God soften the soil of our hard hearts? How does God soften the soil of our hard hearts? The same way He does the soil on the earth, He sends a storm with a whole lot of rain. Could it be that your life is hard and you're feeling it as a kind gift from God so that you return to Him today? When we find ourselves in that low place is when we are most often ready to cry out. This is where the people of God were at in Exodus chapter 2, their groan turned into a cry. And when we do that, we will find that our God is ready to come to our rescue. What what do we do when God feels far away? We let our groan turn into a cry. We let our groan turn into a cry. Now, this passage has two movements to it, and I don't want you to miss these these two movements. They're critical to understanding what's happening in these three verses. Here's what you see, two movements. The cries go up, and when the cries go up, God comes down. Okay? When the cries go up, God comes down. So here's the second action that we step into. First, we let our groan turn into a cry, and second, we wait expectantly for our covenant-keeping God. We wait expectantly for our covenant-keeping God. Watch what happens when the people lean into their vulnerability and allow their groans to turn into cries. In verse 23, it says their cries ascend to God, and now watch what happens in the heavens with God. Verse 24, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the Israelites, and God knew. That's interesting. We're going to talk about what that, and God knew. What is that? Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you were were just sitting by yourself and you were reading Exodus chapters 1 and 2, you would notice this, that this is the first time we meet God in the book of Exodus. Okay? This is the first time that he's mentioned at all in Exodus chapter 2. Very first time. And in fact, it's really the first time we learn anything about God in the book of Exodus. The only other time he's been mentioned was back in Exodus chapter 1 when it talked about the midwives fearing God. We were like, okay, there's God, but we haven't seen him yet. But don't miss this. It's when the people's cries go up that God enters in. It's when the people's cries go up that God comes down. And when he comes down, he comes down big time. God, in these two verses, is mentioned five times in two verses. So the people cry out, and then it's like Moses is writing this. He's like, God, 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 God. Translation, God's about to do something, okay? Now, in these two verses, uh, we see that God does four things, okay? We see that God does four things in response to the cries of his people. I'll give them to you, and then I'll give you a word on each. Number one, it says that God heard. Number two, it says that God remembered his covenant. Number three, it says that God saw. And number four, it says that God knew, that God knew. So let's talk about what each of these mean. Number one, When the people cry out, it says that God heard. God heard. God is not deaf. He's not hard of hearing. He's not distant from his people's suffering. He is the God that listens for his people's cry. And he will listen. In fact, right now, he is listening for your cry. God heard. Number two, it says that when he heard, he remembered his covenant. Now, this is an interesting one, okay? I want to talk a little bit, I'll talk more about this one than the rest of them. First, I want to talk about the idea of covenant. God, throughout the Bible, is a covenantal God, okay? Covenant is a huge theme in the Bible. We'll talk a lot more about it as we move through Exodus. He is, this means he is a promising God. He is a promising God. That's what's underneath the idea of covenant. This means that God does not work like most of us think that God works. It means that God is not a contractual God, okay? Here's what what I mean by that. Um, Most of us think that God is contractual, that uh, if I'm a good little religious boy or girl, God will give me a parking spot, okay? That's how we think God works. That is not how God works. He is not contractual. He is covenantal. God's covenant is his promise, and it depends on him. It's his promise to love and care for and never abandon his people. He's like, I've covenanted to love you. Even if you depart from me, I will not ever leave you. My favorite definition of covenant is from Sally Lloyd-Jones' book called The Jesus Storybook Bible. Yes, it's a kid's book. And she defines God's covenant this way. It's God's never-stopping never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's what God's covenant is. It's how he relates to you. God is not contractual toward you. He does not ebb and flow in the way he relates to you. He is not up when you are up and down when you are down. He is steady. He is the covenant God, okay? He is not contractual. Now, here's what you should be asking. Let's ask the hard question about this. Okay, hard question here. It says that when God's people cried out that he remembered his covenant, so does that mean that he forgot it? You should be asking that. If you're not asking that, I don't want to demean you, but you should be asking that. <laughs> you should be asking that. Does God forget his covenant? What does it mean God remembered his covenant when his people cried out? Because here's what, here's what question you're really asking. Does God forget me? will he forget us? And then if I pray, will he remember me? How does that work? I love what the Old Testament scholar Alex Motyer says about this line. He says this, he says this, it says in verse 24 that God, quote, heard their groaning and remembered his covenant. This is the way in which he's represented to us, but of course, we know that it is impossible for God to forget. He never forgets his people nor the word of his pledge and his covenant. We know this from Deuteronomy 4.31 and Isaiah 49.15. Uh, 49, uh, by the way, I looked both of those up to make sure that they were legit and they are. It literally says God does not forget his covenant. Okay? In fact, Isaiah 49, I looked it up this morning and it says that like a nursing mom doesn't forget her baby who cries for her, he will not forget his covenant toward us. He just doesn't. He doesn't forget. So what's up with this? Yet here... He is represented as though he, I love this, he woke up one morning, the phone rang in heaven, and when he listened to the receiver, he heard the voice of his people in Egypt saying, we're in such a pickle. <laughs> right? And the Lord said to himself, by George, I'd quite forgotten about him. That's what, the that's way what it reads. That's the way it reads. He goes on to say this, of course, it did not happen like that. But, God is represented as though his elbow needed jogging, and our prayer did the trick. Interesting. You're like, you're not resolving this. (laughs) No, I'm not. Thus, we learn what a marvelous and potent thing His people's prayer is. Okay. Let's let's live in the tension. We're going to live in this this whole year in the book of Exodus. In one sense, God's covenant love depends fully on Him. But in another sense... It's as though, and I think this is a mystery and tension that is never resolved in the Bible, it seems that our prayer, our crying out, somehow calls God to act on His covenant promise on behalf of His people. Point being, none of us know how this works, but pray. (laughs) Because when you do, God will hear, He will remember His covenant. Number three, when He remembers His covenant, He saw their suffering. He saw their suffering, and when He sees it, it breaks His heart. Number four... God knew. God knew. What does that mean? Uh, It sounds weird to us, God knew. Well, it's the same Hebrew word used for how Adam knew Eve in the book of Genesis. It's to become intimately involved with someone, to know them. And in the Hebrew, it's telling us that right here, God is about to become intimately involved with his people again as he delivers them from their suffering. This is the rest of Exodus. And right there on the other side of chapter 3 in our Bibles, he's about to start his Exodus work as he goes and meets Moses in the desert and to come back next week. Now, here's what you should be asking me, okay? I'm giving you questions that you should be asking as you're listening. These are the questions that I'm asking as I'm like studying my Bible, preparing to teach. Here's what you should be asking me, especially if you find yourself in a, in a particularly dark and hard season of your life. Yeah, okay. Great. I get it. When I suffer, I need to cry out. And when my cry goes up, God will come down. But what about when it seems like that doesn't work? You guys ever felt like that or is it just me? What about when it's like, I've been crying out, man, I think. Am I doing something wrong? Am I not crying out right? What do I do? What do I do when... I cry. I've cry. i been crying out and it seems like God doesn't hear but is deaf. When it seems like God doesn't remember his covenant love toward me but he's forgotten me, that he doesn't see my reality and that he's really far away and not intimately involved in any sense in my little life. What do I do then? Well, I'll be honest with you, I don't have an easy answer. Um... I don't have an easy answer to that question that will make everything make sense and make your suffering go away. I don't. No pastor does. If any pastor ever acts like they do, run. But here's my best shot. Here's my best shot. If you're asking that question, I've been crying out. Why is God? I see it. Cries go up. God comes down. I see it in the Bible. Jesus is teaching us to ask, seek, knock. I see I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm trying to pray, but I don't see God coming down anywhere. What do I do? Well, in the book of Exodus, God is about to intervene and deliver these people from their suffering. The the Exodus is about to happen. These three verses are like the little tee that holds up the ball for God to hit, and he's about to crush it down the middle of the fairway. That's my golf analogy. I love golf. Yes. But two things are really important to keep in mind when it comes to how God answers their cry for help, okay? Number one, it took a really long time. It took a really long time. It's easy when we read things like this in the Bible to kind of collapse time, where it's like, as long as it took me to read that chapter, that's kind of how long it was in reality, you know? Chapter two... Two minutes, if you're a slow reader, three minutes. But in chapter 2, 80 years go by. Is there anybody in here, this is is not to call anybody out, is there anybody in here over the age of 80? Not a soul. I kind of (laughs) figured. Guys, that's a long time. That's a long time... For the people of God, I don't know how the timing worked out. We see that they're crying out at the end of Exodus 2. I imagine they had cried out before this. I imagine that they had. And 80 years go by. Here's what that shows us. And again, I want to say this super gently. God sometimes is more concerned with who he is shaping us into over time than making our lives as easy as possible, as fast as possible. He just is. He just is. It's a huge theme in Exodus. They're going to... I don't want to steal my own thunder. (laughs) Took a really long time. Number two, this is how God... Pay attention to how God answered their cry for help. Because a lot of times we think they cried for help. Boom, Exodus done. Like, a couple weeks It's like, the 80-year thing is so convicting to me because I find myself groaning about something and crying about something for like a week and I'm like, whatever. You know, God must not care. And it reminds me of Jesus' parable of the persistent widow where it says literally, Jesus, where the widow comes and she comes and she comes and she's like begging, begging, begging. And Jesus says, the point of this parable is that my people pray and they never give up. Like be persistent in crying out. It took a really long time. Number two. Number two: God's answer to their cry looked nothing like they expected it to look. Did God answer? Oh yeah, you better believe it. Did it look like what they expected it to look like? I have a feeling it didn't. Expectations with God are a big deal this is true of any relationship, wrong expectations will always lead to disappointment and disillusionment in any relationship. And one of the expectations that I've just seen in my life recently, and I suspect that you're the same, is that we just kind of expect that God's primary agenda is to make our lives as easy as possible, as fast as possible. And we get into the Christian life, and we kind of expect that, and then when God doesn't do it, we're like, man, God's not real, He doesn't actually love me. All of these promises are not for me. But the way that God leads us out of darkness and suffering is often really scary and really confusing. It's really scary and really confusing. These people, (laughs) they cry out to God. And I don't know what they were imagining, but I kind of imagine that they were like crying out to God to maybe give them a Pharaoh that liked them. Like, may the... Stopped killing their sons and kind of, here's what I'm really getting at, smoothed over their bondage and slavery. But they cry out and think about what God's about to do. Um, God's about to send plagues as an answer to their prayer. They are about to paint lamb blood over their door. This sounds normal to us. I don't think it was normal to them, right? So you're going to take this lamb, you're going to slaughter it, and then you're going to take its blood, you're going to go to your door, and you're going to put the blood over it, and if the blood's over it, then the judgment of God's going to pass over you, and they're going, we kind of just want a nicer Pharaoh, right? They're going to face a, come face to face with a powerful army, they're going to walk through a sea, terrifying, And then they're going to wander around the desert for 40 years. That's what the answer to their prayer looked like. So let me just say this. Maybe God is answering your cries for help. Maybe he is. And it's just taking longer than you thought, or it doesn't look like you thought it would look, or it's not the way that you would have answered your cry for help. But don't mistake that for God's inability to care for you. Don't. I want to close with this as part of our membership process uh, here at the church of just like committing to the life of of the community of the heights and committing to the good of one another. um, People, we have people write out their story of how they met Jesus and how he has changed their lives and I got to read one of those stories this week, I'm going to keep this anonymous, that really struck me as like the example of everything that we've been talking about for the last two weeks of like how to step in and receive like hard seasons when it feels like God is far away. It says this, I'm just going to read it to you. I came to faith at a very young age, age eight. Simply because I heard someone tell me if I gave my life to Jesus, his spirit would live in me and I'd never have to be alone. Which I love that. That's still true. If you're here, you walked in, you didn't, you didn't know Jesus, you can, you can turn and believe in Jesus and his spirit will, he will cleanse you of your sin, of everything you've done wrong. He'll put your, his spirit inside of you. It's beautiful. I love that. And she says, that was it. I was sold. I just simply wanted a friend. I love that. A month later... I was told that my parents were getting a divorce, and from there, a string of very unfortunate events would follow. My father and grandmother passed away along with others. My mom kept getting cancer, and eventually, I began to deal with Ill- illnesses of my own. In the midst of so much sickness, death, and pain, I wondered where was God? Where was God? three car accidents, 15 moves, and eventually losing our home, I couldn't help but wonder if God really cared. I thought being a Christian would spare me from this pain. I then began to realize that it was through the painful parts of my life that I would see His hand most clearly. It wasn't until I was unable to walk or to breathe on my own that I felt His healing power. It wasn't until I was attacked that I saw him protect me. It wasn't until my earthly father was gone that I could see how perfect a father he is to me and how much he loves me. This is the line. My pain opened my eyes and taught me far more than my happiness ever could. This is a real story from our church. My pain opened my eyes and taught me far more than my happiness ever could. There's a C.S. Lewis line that says, God whispers in the joyful moments, but that suffering and pain is God's megaphone to the world. My pain opened my eyes and taught me far more than my happiness ever could. My faith is still growing, I have not arrived, but With every answered prayer, every miracle, every trial, I'm believing more and more, and with every rescue, I'm trusting more than I did the day before. When you find yourself in a place where it feels like God is a million miles away, there's four things in Exodus chapter two that we want to step into. Look for God's hidden hand. Choose courageous rebellion to the world power, faithfulness to Jesus. Let your groan turn into a cry wait expectantly for your covenant-keeping, God. We end by thinking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who heard humanity's cry and did not answer us from a distance. He knew. He knew. He got intimately involved in our pain and our suffering. He became a human being to deliver us from our enemies. Sounds like the story of Exodus. This is what God does. God enters into his people's suffering to deliver them. And Jesus came and he delivered us from our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, hell, and death itself through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And as we respond, I just want us thinking about this. I want us thinking about the cross, meditating on the cross. If he would die for me, though it might seem like it, He will not abandon me now. If He would die for me, though it might seem like it, He will not abandon me now. So let's spend time responding to the ways that God has spoken to us today, four ways that we are going to respond, first through salvation. Salvation. If you're here and you entered into this place on this snowy morning, and you're like, man, I, I don't know about this whole God thing. I've got a lot of junk in my life. The good news of the gospel says that you can know God today. That you don't have to walk out of this place outside of the love of God. The good news of the gospel says this, that we were created to know God. We were created to be vulnerable and dependent on Him, but we've rebelled against that and we've tried to be invulnerable. We've tried to live life on our own, and care for ourselves, and provide for ourselves. And if you're here, and the weight of doing that for yourself is crushing you, then you need to know that Jesus has come so that you could return to your father and have him care for you. So if you want to do that during our response time, you can find one of our leaders that have been on the stage. I'll be right down here. would love to chat with you. The way in is not by becoming more religious or doing a bunch of stuff. It's repentance and faith turning from trying to do it on your own, trusting Jesus alone. And the Bible says if you do that, that you'll be forgiven of everything you've ever done. That's good news. Just like slate wiped clean and you'll be welcomed into life with God. You can do that today. Salvation. Number two, we're going to respond through taking communion. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus here, if you've entered into this place, you're like, I'm in on Jesus. We're gonna take communion together. There will be stations right up here in the front, two stations back there in the back. There's a gluten-free option back here to my left. And what we wanna do is we wanna come and we wanna take communion and we wanna remember that if Jesus would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for us, he will not abandon us now. He's done everything necessary for us to be welcomed into life with God. So let's set our minds and hearts on the cross. Number three, we call this, can we put these options back up on the screen? We call this mutual ministry. We call this mutual ministry. That sounds funny, but this is a time of praying for, encouraging, and caring for one another. This is not an event that we attend. This is a family that we belong to. So we're gonna have a prayer team right up here to my left. And if you're like, man, I want my groan to turn into a cry, but I don't even know how to cry. We have people that can cry out on your behalf. And so, like, any time during the response, they're going to be up here the whole time. You can come up here, and they're going to cry out for you. If you want to just find somebody from your community group or a community group leader, you're more than welcome to do that. Take them to a corner and pray for one another, care for one another. And then singing. We're going to remember the good news of the gospel by singing together and allowing this to move from our heads down into our hearts. So let's stand, and let's respond as the Lord